The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Everybody say, God, God. my refuge. refuge. Everybody say, He is is. my my refuge and strength. Psalms 46, a very present help in trouble. Wow. Everybody say he's present. Oh, he's helped us in the past. He'll help us in the future. But the Bible said he gives us strength for today. Get that. He doesn't give you strength for tomorrow, just today. That's why he's a present help. He's a present help in time of trouble. Now, I like to start. I like to start with a little little funny story. And since it's, we're going to be talking about giving, there's some, there's some cards there in your seat. And if you want to fill those out, we're going to have a, another offering at the end of service with commitment cards. And if you want to write a check, that's fine. Whatever you want to do, just have a one-time gift, that's fine. If you don't want to do anything, that's fine. You keep coming here. I'll keep hugging your neck on the porch. and That's fine. I'm a soft sale. I'm not a hard salesman. But I, I heard a story about a about a man who was a tightwad and his wife was very liberal and they both went to the same church. She could never get him to give and so one day he was getting close to his death. He said, honey, I want you to take all the money out of the bank when I die and put it in a box and I want to bury it with me. <laughs> and, uh, and so she thought, well, you're leaving me out too. Not only church, you're leaving me out. So she said, okay, babe, I'll do that. I'll do that. So she went to the bank and realized there's a little over $100,000 in his personal account and so she drew it out. She drew it out. And so she, she got this box, and she brought it to the graveside, and just before they shut the casket, she put it in there, and she said, I'm sending this with you, hon, as you requested. One of her, one of her sisters came up to her and said, you, you're, you're putting all that money in there with him? She said, don't tell anybody I wrote a check. <laughs> she went and got all the money out, but she wrote a check because it'll never be cashed. <laughs> So, wife, if you've got a tightwad husband, just write a check today, all right? I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Husband, if you've got a tightwad wife, just write a check today. Everybody say, God is my refuge, strength, a very present and well-proved help in trouble. You may be seated. I love you. God bless you. I was ruminating this last month about challenges that are ahead for this church in our existence. And it caused me to look back a little to the challenges that we've come through and that we have conquered. Many highs, very few lows in life. We've done good. God's been good to us. I come to one one wonderful conclusion that God has been mighty good to this church in South Austin. He has been good to us. Can you concur with that? I mean really good. He's been good to us. He's brought us a long way. He really has. He's given us so much to be thankful for. He's accelerated our victories and he has slowed our defeats and he's saved many. He's saved many. We've baptized thousands, thousands of people in this church. Thousands of people in this church. He's healed abundantly. Saw Margarita White in church today a year and three months ago. They said she had never lived till the doctor got to the hospital. Then they said when he got there, she had never lived through surgery. Then they said after surgery, she had never lived till the next day. She's still coming to church. She's a healer. 
He's a healer. He's a healer. Tommy Hill was in church today. They said cancer should have killed him last year. He's in church today. Tommy Hill's in church. Brother John Garza's in church. Jesus is a healer, amen? He just is a healer. He delivers the hurting. He's delivered hurting people in this church. Anybody ever been hurt and come to church and found a salve, a bomb in Gilead? Isn't that wonderful? And he saved some from tragedies. We had, my wife and I went on a little trip last Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. The church gave us a little trip to San Antonio for a little R&R for our anniversary back in March, our 27th year anniversary. And, and we went down there. And I got a call on Monday. At first I got a, a text on Monday from the Musselmans about their little daughter. There was a stabbing at the University of Texas. And their, daughter, their daughter's class was in the same building where the stabbing took place. But for the first time probably in her life, she was late to class that day. She is late to class. God calls her to be late, kind of like Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb. He's a little late. And, but instead of getting a knife perhaps in her chest, she just got a little blood on her shoes and she was all right because God took care of one of our kids. Amen. He protects us. In that same, in that same place that day was Corey Redding. Corey is a member of our church. He and his wife Priscilla and their children is in second service today, and he was sitting upstairs, and the man that was the assailant, the one that killed the man and stabbed several more, walked by him and stopped, stopped right in front of Corey and pointed to him, and then came up, and Corey had a cross and touched the cross with his fingertip and looked at him again and walked away. I don't know if it was the God factor in Corey or the toughness in Corey, but something he saw in Corey he didn't want to mess with. And he walked on down and did something else. But God, Corey called me on Monday and he was crying. He said, Pastor, I, I'm just so thankful because God spared me. He said, I know others lost their life, but I'm spared, Pastor. And I want to rejoice today. And we rejoiced on the telephone. God takes care of his kids. He's blessed families in this church. Some of you couldn't have children. Now you're saying, quit praying, Pastor. We're having too many children. We... He's given jobs to people who needed them and desired them. If you don't desire one, he won't give you one. But you desired it and God fulfilled your desire. God has been that ever-present help. And when, when Patty and I and the, the three little girls arrived here in 1990, we were told of a prophecy given long before our pastorate. And the prophecy said simply this, this church would be a lighthouse in Austin, Texas. It'd be a healing place, a saving place, and a place for people to find Jesus. Would you clap your hands? I think that's happened. I think that's happened. I think that's happened. See, I enjoy the story of building. I like to build. Not just buildings. I like to build people. I love to build character. I love to build people's ex hopes and expectations. I, I'm a builder. I love to see enlarging of things in lives. I love to see the tent enlarged. I love to see the cords lengthened, and I love to see the stakes strengthened. And I love a church that's moving forward. If you're not moving forward, you're not moving. You're moving backwards. You're going the wrong direction. This church is continually moved forward. And, and last week, I just read a neat story in the Bible from 2 Kings chapter 6. I thought it was so cute, so neat. It's just seven little short verses. I've never seen it on quite the light that I saw it, but it was about some boys that were in a prophet school, and Elisha was the prophet of the land. He had followed Elijah. And they were chopping down some trees to build a prophet's room. They, had, they needed more room for because for, prophets were coming right and left because Elisha was inspiring young men. And they needed a bigger place of worship. And while one man was working with his axe to chop a tree down, the axe head fell off and went in the river and he was left with just a handle in his hand. 
And they ran and got the prophet Elisha, and they said, Elisha came back and he said, where did it fall in? He said, right there. And he, the Bible said he took a stick, a stick, and he threw it right where the axe head went into the water, and the Bible said the iron began to swim. The axe head swum, swum. That ain't a word. The axe head swimmed, amen. Is swum a word, swim, swim, swum? Him, ham, hum, I don't know. God enjoys seeing his people building houses for him. And when you need a miracle in that building, God will give you a miracle in that building. Even if it's causing an axe head to swim in water when it's not supposed to even swim. Second Chronicles chapter 5, Solomon's temple building. God was so thrilled with what was happening that when the dedication time came, when the singers were as one, the priests were as one, and they began to play the songs and sing the songs. The Bible said that the Spirit of God came in so greatly that the men of God, the ministers, could not even minister in the house. God gets glory when we build something for Him. Amen. He loves His church to be blessed. Ezra chapter 3, when the temple was rebuilt after the, after the Babylonian captivity of 70 years and the Solomon's temple had been destroyed by, by the enemy. And they came back and there was nothing there. But Zerubbabel was given the charge of building that new temple. And it thrilled God so much that when the foundation was laid, folks, the foundation was laid, that the priest and the singers and the trumpet players got on that foundation. And the glory of God began to move. And they began to praise God and shout on the foundation. God loves people who build his church. Turn to somebody and say, you're a part of a building today. Come on, come on. God loves you. He loves you. Come on, clap your hands and say, I love the fact that God loves people that want to build something great for the kingdom of God. So what constitutes a great church? Huh? What constitutes a great church? I got to thinking. So I looked in the book of Acts because Acts is the foundational place of the church. So I looked in the book of Acts and, and I found seven greats in the book of Acts that I think are very important. And I think these are the seven greats maybe that Luke meant for the church to have. Everybody say, great fellowship. A church that has fellowship, great fellowship, is a great church. Amen? Amen? Everybody say great joy. great joy. That's in the book of Acts. Everybody say great joy. great joy. A church that has great joy is a church that people love to attend. I don't think church ought to be dead, dry, dull, <laughs> ugly, mean, mad. I think church ought to be a joyous place. Amen? It ought to be a joyous place. Everybody say great grace. Say great grace. You know, I wonder what the difference in grace and great grace is. And then God just spoke to me and said, the difference between grace and great grace is great trust in the grace giver from you. Do you trust a God that gives grace? Then that's great grace. Amen. Do you believe God will act on our behalf? Everybody say great power. I believe a church ought to have great power. I think people ought to be changed when they walk in this house. I think they ought to be revolutionized. I think not just reformed, but revolutionized. By the presence and the holy power of God, I think God's power can still turn people around and let a 180 in their life and they can see God moving mightily in their lives. And then great signs and wonders. Everybody say great signs and wonders. Anybody ever seen healing? Anybody ever felt a healing? Anybody ever done one, seen wonders in this house? I believe God has given us signs and wonders. And then great numbers added. That's another great in the book of Acts. Great numbers added. Folks, when I came, when, I, when we came to this church, I preached to 23 people in the little A-frame building next door, and there was Sunday school kids, and, and we didn't have just a whole lot. But I told the church then that we'd have a choir one day that was bigger than the whole church that I took. 
And we did have that in just a little while. We moved in this building in 1997. We had about 225 people. And the first Sunday we was here is on an Easter Sunday, 1997. We had 600 people in church and we thought we'd die and gone to heaven. We thought that was the ultimate. We thought it was the ultimate. Last Easter Sunday we had 4,125 people. God is adding daily to the church such as should be saved. And it's not about the numbers. And we don't boast in that. But we boast in the God that brings people to a place like this because I believe this is a great church in the kingdom of God. Amen. Say it, say it, say it. It's a great place. And then there's great fear. Now that fear is not fear like fear. It's a respect, a great respect for the things of God. God does great stuff here. We ought to respect that God. We ought to treat this church like we respect that God. We ought to not run our mouths and talk about people that are in this church. Because when you talk against others, you're talking about the creator that created those others. You need to pray for their weaknesses, not run those weaknesses down. We need to respect each other. Everybody say respect. One another. And when we respect one another, we'll respect the God. And God loves people who respect him and fear his name. Clap your hands and say, that's seven greats in a church. Now the story I'm going to tell you today is one of huge mercy and magnified grace. The Hebrews, folks, were people that came out of Egypt and walked into a land called Promise. And before there was ever any laws established in that new land, sheriffs, police, departments, and all that, they had to set up a, a system. And here was a system. The Levites, the Levites were the only tribe of Israel that did not get an inheritance in the Promised Land. Stay with me now. It's going to a little history lesson. It may be a little boring, but I'm going to give you a pop quiz after a while to see if you learned it. All right? I'm teasing. The Levites got, got, received no inheritance. So what they did receive were cities, 48 cities. And of those 48 cities, there were six that were called cities of refuge. You ever heard of that? No, you hadn't, have you? Okay. All you that's heard about it, raise your hand. All you that hadn't, raise your hand. All right? Nobody, nobody's even listening to me today. <laughs> okay, 48 cities and of six, six of those were called cities of refuge. Now, the Jordan River was right on the banks of Israel and Israel's about the size of Maryland in, in square miles, about the state of Maryland. And on either side of the banks, three on one side and three on the other side. You see, there were two and a half tribes that never came in. The tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh never came into the land of promise. But because they didn't come in and receive the fullness that God had for them, he still took care of them on the other side of the river. There's a God that's more graceful than we could ever imagine in our lives. There's some things that some of us would never do, but God still says, I'm going to bless you. Those people that came out of Egypt that didn't make it to the promised land, it didn't matter that they were fearful, they didn't want to come in. God still fed them every day, caused a fire over their head every night, a cloud to follow, a, a rock that followed them in the wilderness, shoes that never wore out, clothes that never wore out, and they were never coming in. I'm telling you, I'm preaching about a God that loves you in spite of yourself, that loves you no matter what you do. He's a God that's in love with his creation. I feel like preaching today. So they established these six cities of refuge. Now, here was what they were for. They were for people who committed some kind of situation that had death implicated. Like maybe today a chariot would have run a red light. 
and another chariot would have hit it or something, somebody would have died. It didn't, it didn't mean that they were trying to take somebody's life. Or the instance in the Bible is about two men in the woods cutting down trees with axes, and one axe head comes off and strikes the other man in the head, and he falls down dead. The man did not mean to kill him. It was not premeditated. It was not thought out. It was just an accident. It was just a manslaughter. And that man was known as the manslayer. The man that took another man's life was a manslayer. But immediately, because there was no law, the family of perhaps the dead man had a person in their family known as the avenger of blood. It was old-fashioned mafia stuff. You hear me? It was New Jersey in the little place called Israel. All right? You with me? It was Sicily come to America. And they would go after the manslayer. And they would, they would go with intentions because in that day it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and a life for a life. And they would chase after him. But there were six cities. Oh, I love this. Six cities for people who did not intentionally mean to hurt anybody, but it hurt somebody. People that didn't intention to sin, but they were sinners. People that didn't mean to do what they did, but they couldn't help themselves. You follow me? And so this man, this manslayer, could run to the city of refuge. And they were, they were so scattered out, three on each side, that it was not more than a day's journey to any of them, no matter where you were in Israel. Oh, I feel this right now. God is close to us no matter how deep in sin we are, no matter how covered we are in our guilt, no matter how low we get in our feelings. We're not far from his presence no matter where we are in our life. Hallelujah. And so that man would run. The roads were taken care of. They were paved once a year. Out to 3,000 yards, there was, there was, they were clean they, so somebody wouldn't have to climb over artillery or climb over, over chariots or get around something. The roads were clean. There were signs at least two miles out said, Refuge, this away. There were guides that were there that would take people to the city of refuge. They wanted people to be safe. And then there was a tribunal when they walked in the front gate and that tribunal would try the case right there at the front gate. And if the man's story matched what they thought was right or wrong, they had un un unusual wisdom, they would say, you're, you're welcome to come in. And that man could stay in that city of refuge and the avenger of blood that was after his life could not come in and kill him and take his life. He got to stay there until the death of the high priest. And when the high priest in that city died, then he had to leave. Because that was the law. So here's the point, folks. I believe with all my heart that I am pastoring a church. I believe I'm pastoring a church right here in South Austin that is a modern-day city of refuge in Austin, Texas. Somebody ought to help me preach right now. There are people that didn't have a chance in life and they found the front door of Christian Life Church. And they walked this aisle and gave their heart to Jesus Christ. Went down in the waters of baptism. And all of a sudden everything became brand new. And we couldn't drive you out of here with a herd of elephants because you're so happy to be a part of a church that cares about your future. And I got news for you. You don't have to go anywhere because the high priest that we're serving is still alive and he's not going down and he's not going to be defeated. His name is Jesus and he is forevermore alive and well in this world. Wow. Oh, I know it's good. Mm. I'm kind of like that old boy. I feel tilted right now. I Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. 
I love this church. People have walked in here crushed and left cleansed. They've walked in here down and left high. They've walked in here discouraged and left victorious because this place is a city of refuge for people that need Jesus in their lives. And he is, he is the high priest that will never go away. Now let me preach a little bit here. I've lost my mind. Man, you folks take it out of me because, you know, I'm, you're the last thing I have before lunch. But I, I, really, I really could preach after this because when I get to feeling something like I'm feeling today about this church and about its future and about where God's got us going, I can't hardly stand it. I just can't hardly stand to stay inside myself. It, there's an there's a, there's a, there's a Old Testament word for praise called halal, H-A-L-L-A-L. It means to get beside yourself in praise. Just get beside yourself. And sometimes I just feel a haul all coming on. You know what I'm saying? Just a little spirit of saying, I want to step outside of where I am and look back and say, who's that man going crazy right there? Who is that? That'd be me. That'd be me. Because there's something in this house. You ever feel that way? I know some of you do when Texas makes a touchdown or when we finally win a game. I know that. But boy, sometime in church when I'm preaching the gospel and when I'm worshiping God, sometimes sitting on my pew, it just feels like I'm beside myself. And I feel beside myself because I know that God has his hand on this church. He is an ever-present help for this congregation. Clap your hands and rejoice in that. So, there's six cities. I'm going to name them. I'm going to tell you the meaning of those names. I'm going to be quick. I want to preach a little more after I get through with these. The first is Kedesh, K-E-D-E-S-H. It's the land where Naphtali owned. They had, their inheritance was there. And Naphtali means wrestling. But Kedesh means a sanctuary from people who wrestle with themselves. Things I would do, I do not. Things I don't do, I wish I did. Paul said I had that in me. Paul needed to go to Kedesh. There is a church, a sanctuary where you can come, a holy place, where you can come and the wrestling is over because God gives you direction. Then there's Shechem. Shechem means back or shoulder. Jacob settled there. It was in Sychar that he dug that well. It was also in Sychar where Jesus met a woman at the well in John chapter 4 and said, you've been married five times and the man you're living with is not even your husband. And she said, come see a man that told me everything about myself. She saved the whole city because Jesus took time with her. Here's what I want to tell you. When you go to the right church, when you go to the right place, there's always a shoulder. There's somebody there, a big brother, a big sister, a mom, a dad, somebody that cares about people, not just a pastor, not just, but people that work in this church, that teach in this church, that minister in this church, not just, not just staff that'll put their arm around you and say, hey, you matter here. You matter here. It's neat to have a church where there's a shoulder to cry on. There's a shoulder to lean on because God is with you. And then the third one is Hebron. Hebron. It means association, community, fellowship, life groups. I, I, I just added that in there. Life groups. It's life groups. Hebron was the place of David's third anointing. Amen. <laughs> the anointing of God is so powerful when this church is praising and when the word is going forth in this house that it destroys the yokes that are on you. And Hebron is that association, that community, that fellowship, that unity. David 
means Judah. Judah. David came out of Judah, which means praise. And the third anointing was the anointing of showing who he really was. Some people feel lonely. They feel left out. They don't feel like nobody wants to talk to them. They feel disappointed. But there's a place of fellowship waiting for you at 4700 Westgate Boulevard called Christian Life Church. It is a city of refuge. Number four is Beezer. Beezer means gold one. Gold one. Now, oh, I want that church. <laughs> I was, I, I come real early on Sunday morning. I was, out, I was out cleaning the parking lot today. I'm OCD and I was picking up stuff. I picked up a lottery ticket out yonder on the parking lot. And I looked at it. It was a loser. It wasn't a winner. <laughs> it wasn't a winner. It was a loser. And I put it in the trash can. And I said, oh, I wish that person that had spent money on that probably wasn't one of y'all. It wasn't no church member. It's just somebody drove through. <laughs> I, I know church members wouldn't pay the lottery. But I wish they'd have put that dollar or that $5 to a cause greater than themselves. Because... You never lose when you give to Jesus Christ and when you give to the church of the living God. You know, and I've known pastors to exploit that, and I've known ministers to run away with 14 other women and, 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 and use and abuse that. But I promise you, folks, that's not, the, that's not the problem here at CLC. The problem is if we had just a little bit more, we'd be building you something that's unbelievable. But we're going to build something in the name of the Lord right here, right now, because God is with us. And we're going to do your money right. The stewardship of your money's right. Everybody say, I love the place called Beezer. See what it is. It, it's people that feel worthless. It's people that feel worthless can walk in here and God just makes you feel rich. It's people that don't feel like they're needed or wanted and God makes you feel rich. It's older people that say, you know, I don't matter anymore. I'm too old to matter anymore. No, you still do matter. You matter because everybody that walks in this house matters. I've got, I've got, folks that are octogenarians that come to the first service and sit right on that bench out there and I can't wait to get over and kiss them both on the head I kiss them both on the head because there's nothing like older people that sometimes hell thinks you're worthless you don't matter and you do matter because you are still the gray hairs that help us move this church forward and we need older people in this house clap your hands and say amen to that God makes you feel worthwhile and not worthless then there's a city called Ramoth means heights. It was in Gilead. It's a rocky region. There's a lot of folks that feel rocky. Not rocky Balboa, but feel rocky. They live in valley areas of their life. And the cities of refuge were always on hills or mountains. So you could see them from a long way off. And Ramoth brought you to new heights that you'd never known before in your life. That's what a city of refuge church does. It brings you to heights of joy. Then Golan is the last one, G-O-L-A-N. It means simply rejoicing. Everybody say, Jesus is the joy of my salvation. He's the joy of my life. Come on, say it. He's the joy of my life. He's the joy of my tomorrow. He's the joy of my today. Come on, Jesus is the joy of our life. Amen? Amen? Everybody say, Jesus, others, and you. You can spell that later. Joy. So, what is a church? What is a city of refuge? It's a sanctuary. It's a show, shoulder. It's a community, fellowship. It's riches in Christ. It's heights. And it's rejoicing. CLC is a New Testament city of refuge church. 
Would you clap your hands and rejoice for that in the name of the Lord? I have a dear friend that pastors down in Florida. In fact, he has moved on probably to Bishop now, but I used to see him all the time when I was in, in, in work, when I was in my 30s and, and 40s. His name is Dan Betzer. He is a, he, he's the Assembly of God Revival Time Speaker. You follow C.M. Ward. And Dan Betzer is one of the greatest storytellers that I've ever been around, and I used to, used to love. I'd go to lunch with him. We had, we had, we had fellowship, such good friendship. And he wrote a book called Why Some Churches Are Blessed, and I want to share it with you. One of the main things he say, stated in that book was, if you can complete your vision without God, then your vision is not from God. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need God. Come on, we need God. Say, he is our refuge, a present help. I hope we're not in trouble. Say, <laughs> so he's a present help. He said, if you can complete your vision without God, then your vision is not from God. And he told a story, I think it was up when he was up in Michigan. He told a story about when he, he went to buy an old bank building in a, in a town, he was starting a church. And the city didn't want to sell him that bank building because they, didn't, they, they wanted the revenue and churches don't have to pay taxes. And they hate that. And I'm so glad that we still don't have to do that because God has protected the churches in America. Can you clap your hands for that? That's, that's good stuff. Okay. And, and so it got to the news. The, the battle between the church and the city got to the news. And all of a sudden, people started leaning toward the church. They was on their side. And the city saw that, man, we're going to lose this fight. So they said, Pastor Betzer, we'll let you have that church, man. Let's get the fight. So he got the church. So while, while the news was breaking out, he got a phone call one night from a woman and a husband. She, he's on the other line, and they said, Pastor Betzer, we got a gift for you, the new church. He said, what's that? He said, well, we're buying a brand-new baby grand piano. We want to give you our old one. Dan Betzer, if you know him, he said, I don't want no old piano in a new church. <laughs> I love it. He said, what about the new one? They got mad, hung the phone up. He said, well, praise God. They got the church. About two weeks later, a truck come up to the front of that church, that old bank building. Says, Pastor Dan in there? I said, yeah, Pastor Betcher in here. He said, well, we need him. He said, Pastor Betcher, we got a, a baby grand piano delivery. He said, I told that woman. I didn't want that old grand piano. So he said, I'm going to go and call her. So we went and called her. He said, ma'am, they're delivering a piano here. And he said, I told you. She said, Pastor, hold on just a minute. Hold on. It's not an old one. So we, we cried. We got mad. Then we got sad. Then we cried. And said, Pastor, we realized we was giving God second and we are taking first. And said, Pastor, that's a brand new grand piano. He said, unload it, boys. Let's have church. And then he got to talking about Moses in the Old Testament when he built the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, folks, you've got to get this. It's one of the simplest, most beautiful things I've ever read in my life. He shared a story of Moses. He said Moses, when he built the tabernacle, now that thing was transient. They, they'd take it down, break it down, take it to another encampment, put it back down. They'd have a place to worship. Then the people would all gather around it. All the tribes would gather around it. Church was in the middle, there's around it. And they'd pick it up and go to another camp. 
But he said, but he said, when Moses gave the instructions on how to build that tabernacle, everything that had to do with linen, whether it be the tapestries, whether it be the curtains, whether it be the veil, anything to do with linen, he said he used the term fine linen. Fine linen. Folks, there's a difference between linen and fine linen. There's a difference in just building a church and building a fine church. There's a difference in just putting this thing together and putting it together right. Anybody want to build a fine church in South Austin? Anybody want to remodel a church fine in South Austin? Come on, clap your hands real big. And so... I got, to, I got to looking, and I started in chapter 25. I started in chapter 25, and I got to seeing how many times fine linen was used. And in, 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 in my reading, and, and I just stopped after a while, in Exodus 25, it was one time, fine linen. In 26, it was three times in fine linen. Three more times in 27, fine linen. Six times in chapter 28, fine linen. Four more times in 35, fine linen. Three times in 36, fine linen. Four times in 38, fine linen. Ten times in chapter 39, fine linen. After a while, you think God might think you want some fine linen in that place. <laughs> Do you believe that we can build a fine church? Come on. Do you believe we can build a first-class operation here? Do you believe that God's going to help us? Come on, I need somebody to clap your hand. I need somebody to get excited with me right now. Do you believe that God can do exceeding abundantly above that we're able to ask or think because he is in our building program? Woo-wee. I'm closing. Randy, come help me. I've preached enough. God, I love that. Fine. Everybody say fine. Fine. 34 times he said fine linen. Fine linen. The best, the best, the best, the best, the best. Every Sunday I want to bring the finest sermon. Every Sunday Pastor Randy wants to bring the finest music. Every Sunday our Sunday school teachers want to bring the finest to the children. Every Wednesday Pastor Brad wants to bring the finest to the youth. Every Wednesday, we want to bring the finest to your children. This church is dedicated to fine linen ministry because God is with us, and he's our ever-present help. I had a dear friend of mine that was a missionary in Brazil for 52 years, died about four weeks ago. His name was Benny, Benny the Merchant. And Benny was a unique little fella. I promise you, folks, he couldn't preach his way out of a wet paper sack. He really couldn't. But he started over a thousand churches, spirit-filled churches in Brazil in 52 years of ministry. When he first got to Brazil and got to Manaus, just he and his family, he got sick because the food, the diet and all that, he got sick. And so he went to the hospital, and the hospital was not far from a soccer stadium. And Brazil had pretty good soccer back in that day. They still do. And uh, he said, God, I think I need to go home. I think this is not a good idea for me to be here. God said, Benny, if you'll stay faithful, I will give you more people in your life in Brazil than in that soccer stadium today cheering for those players. That stadium has held well over 100,000 people. 
know we hear about Dr. Cho, but sometimes there's some unknowns in this world that raise up churches of 150 to 200,000 people. You clap for that. That's good stuff. That's good stuff right there. You, you clap for that. He had a, he had a little old Cessna 152. I learned to fly a little Cessna 152, and it's just, it's just a rubber band engine and two little old wings and a little four-seater. It won't pull the hat off your head. It takes a, it takes a good while to get the speed up to take off. It's a small little Cessna, and it doesn't, it didn't have any automatic pilot. It was just him and the plane. And he put down the Amazon River. He lost his son a few years into his ministry there and had to send him home. Son died of cancer at an early age. I love you, Brother Benny. He was a good one. He had a crash one time and killed a woman. He and a Brazilian pastor were flying. She was in the back seat. There was water in the gas and he crashed and she died. He was home. He said, God, I'm going to fly again. God said, you're going to fly again. You're going to fly again tomorrow because I want you still broadcasting and bringing the gospel to the Brazilian people. The jungle people, the forest people need your ministry. He took some, he took some food one day to a cannibal area and he dropped food out of his little plane just rice or whatever he dropped and they were shooting arrows up at him trying to shoot him out of the sky and he said it was so fun to look down where God looks down from and see those arrows almost getting there and just turning back they couldn't hit the plane he said because I was flying above everything the devil could throw at me the arrows couldn't hit the plane building churches 600 in Manaus Brazil today 600 churches that's not some you think that's not some churches that's six, 600 in one city they can't drive like we do they just go to the church on the corner we got one <laughs> that's your church you went to sleep one day behind the behind the wheel he didn't know how long he stayed asleep but when he woke up it shocked him and he looked at the instruments and he was still on course the Amazon River was still there
have a seat for you in the front row. This he looked at his wife and he said, honey, you want to go up there? She said, you'll have to catch me. Listen to me. 